century number 10 for Brendan Taylor. We're talking about Rivada, we're talking about how good he is. And there it is. It's 39th one day international hundred. The king gets his crown at the Atlanta. Go on, take it. Deep mid-wicket. Glenn Maxwell celebrates Vivek Kohli. Cannot believe it in the middle of the ground. Welcome to the Dean at Stumps podcast. Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket show with expert analysis by Dean Duplessis. Century. That's very well played. Graham Hick, and uh, he's played superbly. It's been good to watch. Oh, good shot. Really good strike from Graham Hick. That's the way to score off the spinner. Just look to hit him straight, and if you time it, you'll get six for it. That's it. Century number two for England. The 76th of his first-class career. And there it is. He's pushed it through. The fielder at silly point, Hick has got his hundred, he punches the air, he kept his nerve to the very end, and he has triumphed. So Hick got 99. And that's it, that's his century, that's a brilliant innings by Graham Hick. He's uh, almost done it single-handed for England, his fifth one-day century, his third in four innings, so he's in great form at the moment, a standing ovation here. Hello and welcome to the Dean at Stumps podcast. I'm Dean Duplessis and if you haven't figured out who will be on this edition of the Dean at Stumps podcast, then you never will. Graham Ashley Hick, born and bred in Zimbabwe, but then settled down where he had a very illustrious career playing first-class cricket for Worcestershire for well over 20 years. But he did also represent England in 65 test matches and 120 one-day internationals. He has a highest test score of 178 that he scored against India in 1993. He has a highest one-day international score of 126 not out against Sri Lanka in 1998. And you heard the late Tony Gregg actually speaking about the fact that Graham Hick had scored 300s in four innings in that particular series back in 98-99. So fantastic stuff by Graham Hick. Um, his eyes first class score, 405 not out against Somerset. And uh, he's also the only batsman to have scored triple hundreds at first class level in three different decades, 1988, 1997 and 2002. Well, as you can imagine, it was a real honour and privilege and pleasure catching up with such uh, an illustrious name such as Graham Hick. But uh, before we started talking a bit more about him, something which, by the way, he's not particularly fond of doing, I asked him to tell us a bit more about his time as the batting coach of Australia. Yeah, it was a great experience. Um, obviously, you know, walking into into their environment. Fortunately, I was working in the system uh, for three years prior to that. But then, actually, you know, getting into the into their main dressing room and, and see how they operate, you know, close up and took a while for me to to settle and, and get to know them but um yeah great bunch of guys and uh, experience I, I really enjoyed and, and treasured 
Absolutely. And I mean, and, you know, you worked, it was so interesting for me because Justin Langer, very, very intense, uh, very vocal. You know, if something goes wrong, he's not afraid to, to express his disappointment. I remember an incident when he was coaching one of the counties when he threw a whole bunch of, of cakes, uh, you know, at a wall in disgust. But so, and you very, very quiet. But it seemed to me that two, that the two of you in your own unique ways, one very vocal and intense and one very quiet, but gets the job done. The two of you got on very well and seem to have a good partnership. Um, well, there's, there's a few of us, you know, all working in the environment. And that, so we all find our own space and, and always try and feel and take responsibility, responsibility for my own role and, and, and just get on with it. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously we have meetings and chats and, and catch-ups or whatever, and, and you know what direction you're going and, and you know what certain players want and, and how long that may take and what their routines are and that and processes are. So, you know, you sort of you start of the day, you sort of, you know what time you need to get there and you just, you, yeah, I just felt that uh, it was for me to just to get get on with my job and, and let JL um, sort of concentrate on, on other things. Yeah. You know, he has a lot on his plate building up into the game and during the game and, and as you say, it was pretty intense. So sort of felt that, you know, I just got on with my role, made sure the players were happy and, and they got what they needed, um, you know, to try and perform at their best in the, um, you know, out in the middle. So Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, mm. and, and, and watching Steve Smith, I mean, he's always been unique and he's always been talented, but you certainly, you know, had a, you watched him just score that huge amount of, of runs during the Ashes and, and even on South Africa's tour. It must have been quite astounding for you to, to be a part of that as well. Yeah, just very interesting to watch. You know, at the moment, maybe one of the, one of the, if not the best sort of player in the world, certainly the top two or three in the world, um, how they go about their business. Um, you know, he, he looks sort of a little bit different to everyone else, but actually, his his basics and and that and and the way it goes about his game is actually all all pretty simple, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, just a great, I think, he's just a great problem solver as much as anything else. Um, you know, you didn't, he knew exactly what he was doing. You didn't really have to say much to him. Now and again, he may sort of look at you quizzically, think, wondering what's happened, but he's normally, he normally worked it out himself. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if you agree with me, Hickey, but I, I'm a very big fan of Tim Payne. You know, he was here in Zimbabwe with the A-side on a couple of occasions. I like his style yeah. of captaincy. I, I know he doesn't particularly deliver as much as what people, and I think people are still caught up with the whole Adam Gilchrist, Brad Haddon thing, which they kind of need to get over. You know, they were very unique in their own way. And so is Tim Payne. I, I'd like to hear your opinion on that. I, I think he captained aside with a great deal of distinction in his own not-so-up-in-your-face typical Australian way. You know, he just gets the job done, as you've alluded to. Yeah, I think he's been great. Um, you know, he certainly, he certainly would have, he wouldn't have wanted to have begun his captaincy under the, in the situation he did do, um, you know, post-South Africa. But, um, you know, I, I've... I've Think and, and I think most people do realise now that he, you know he's, he's done an amazing job. Um, I'm a little bit old school, maybe a bit like you. Where you know I picked my keeper to be a keeper, and without doubt, I think he's the best keeper in the world. Um, and yeah, I mean he'd say so himself. He you know maybe should have delivered a, a little bit more with the bat. But if he doesn't drop, you know if he doesn't drop anything behind the stumps, to me he's, he's doing his job. And he's you know, sometimes you watch him behind the stumps and you, you just. You, just so clean, just a very, very good glove man. So, and he's has he's, he's led the side and, and got so much respect from everyone you know within that group. 
Yeah, and I mean England have had that as well, haven't they? Chris Reed and uh, and a number of other keepers who didn't necessarily always perform with the bat, but you can guarantee that nine times out of ten, brilliant catches would be taken, buys would be stopped, and and sometimes I think we we've been a bit spoiled, Hickey, with the likes of Kumar Sangakara, MS Dhoni, Gilchrist, and and I guess even to a lesser extent Andy Flower, you know these all Johnny Besto, these all round batsmen who can keep and bat, and sometimes it's not a bad idea to just get back to the basics, so. Your bowlers take wickets, your batsmen score runs, and your keepers take catches. I think every test side, I think you know, to be a great test side, everyone looks for that. You know, the all rounder seems to be the, you know, if you, whether it's be a bat and ball or a keeper who you know who can provide you know at six you know, on his own. Maybe you know, if you can find that person, then obviously the balance of the side and and what and what it what it gives you is just so huge. And I think that's why it's become so important for you know some for to at least try and have one or two people in your lineup that are, you know, you know are multi-skilled to a high level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so we're going to do something that you are not too fond of now, Hickey. We're going to talk a bit about you because there, there are a lot I'll tell you now, my memory's not very good, so either you've got the stats in front of you or you're not going to get much out of me. Don't worry. Uh, I've, that's one thing I've been blessed with is a reasonable memory. No eyesight at all, but uh, makeup in, in other areas, I, I guess. Um, so tell us, take us, you were one of those incredible, so many um, you know, sports people or sports persons in Southern Africa because of the outdoor weather which is so great so many Zimbabweans and South Africans um, featured in many sports hand-eye coordination so you were a very good tennis player you played a bit of tennis with your mum and dad I suppose just at family level but you were a fine hockey player as well in fact I understand that there was a point where you very nearly chose hockey over cricket so how did cricket find you? Um, I don't um, I don't no, I don't think I would have chosen hockey I think I, I just happened I went on a National schoolboy hockey tour, but I don't think I would never have. Um, I would never have going to be good enough to have made much out of hockey. But um, I think I think when you talk, you know, you reference to sort of outdoor life and, and playing a lot of sports. And I think that's something I think a lot of children growing up uh, now miss out on in that they get identified very early, and you know, suddenly their lives are overtaken by just sticking to that one sport you know from maybe their early teens if not before and and especially like if you're in, in our situation as as cricketers or tennis players or hand art with that you know the more sort of sports you can play I think you just you develop so many other skills you know without realizing it that help you in the long term in whichever your main discipline ends up being so I, I do feel to a certain degree that you know the um, kids coming through the system nowadays do miss out on that sort of all-round development, um, you know, of, of learning so many other skills while still having fun and, and, and playing other sports. Yeah, yeah, that makes huge amounts of sense. So, 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 Graham, you were still at Prince Edward, what, 15 or so years old, when people started to take a very big interest in what you were doing because you'd been scoring lots and lots of runs at various levels. And the next thing, as a teenager, you were drafted into the Zimbabwe squad and you were up against the young Australians, which, which had an incredibly strong side back in the 1980s. You also played a bit against the young West Indies. How did that happen? Who do you remember? Who approached you, and and what was said to you all those years ago as a youngster? Um, well, no, nothing was sort of said at that stage. Um, you know, as you say, I was just performing in the in our local leagues in Harare for 
you know, for older areas and, and getting a lot of runs at school and a lot of runs in um, first first league or first division cricket, whatever you want to call it. And I, I suppose it's just part of the selection process. And I got a couple of early games, you know, the sort of tour opening games maybe the year before and then um, my last sort of year at school and my first, when I first year I went over to England, I think that's when uh, I'd say people, or it was actually Alan, Alan Pichanik and, and the ZCU at the time sort of uh, spoke to my parents um, and were looking to try and send me to, to England to the Lords, you know, to go and be part of the Lords ground staff, as they used to call it in those days. And you go and you join in there and you play as, um, you know, one of the, uh, sort of MCC young cricketers and um, just for a scholarship and unfortunately I couldn't go there because I already had uh, a full quota of, of players um, so you know Alan Pachanik and the ZCU very kindly sort of rung around I suppose the, the counties to find if anyone was interested in having you know a, a 17, 18 year old you know on, on scholarship for six months um, and that's all it was ever going to be, you know, when I when I set off. And, and, you know, luckily I ended up at Worcester where I ended up staying for um, nearly 20, 25 years. But, you know, initially it was just uh, an approach by Alwyn, um, who knew my family very well. I was at school with David and Dennis. His sons were in my year. Um, so we all knew. It's a very small community, as you know, in Zimbabwe. So, um yeah, so that was just very kindly organised for me to go over, and I was just going over to spend six months um, in England, uh, just playing second team cricket, and just you know, and, and league cricket over the weekends in the Birmingham League, um, and just getting a great experience. Um, and that's all it was at that stage um, was just a six months. So um, yeah, I was very fortunate. Um, I certainly had no idea that I would still be there twenty five years later. Gosh, that's, that is a, quite a mm-hmm. remarkable story, you see. And, and this is what young Zimbabweans who have heard of the name Graham Hick, um, but who are a bit young to watch you play or follow you, these are the things that they, that they don't know and that they'd love to hear. So off you went, and not mm-hmm. knowing that you were going to be there 25 years later. And um, do you remember when you then started to start uh, playing for the Worcestershire first 11? And uh, do you remember your very first 100 that you scored for Worcestershire? Um. I don't recall my first hundred. I remember my first game because I played the first game um, at the last um, game of the 1984 season. Um, I think at, at the time they had Kapil Dev as their overseas player, and I'd, I'd been I'd been playing in the second team and, and got a lot of runs in the second team and in, in, in club cricket. And it was it was about August time. Um, just coming towards the end of the English season, which is just sort of going back a little bit to your previous question, when uh, the club came to me and, and started inquiring as to whether I'd be interested to return the following year um, on, a, on a contract, you know, as a second team player. Because, as I said, my, I was only going over for a six-month scholarship. Um, so, you know, I rang my parents, said they want me to come over next year. Can I? You know, I'd love to, to do it. And it was quite funny. I remember my mum... Uh, Said at the time, well, I don't know what else you're going to do, so you may as well, <laughs> you may as well give it another another six months. So, so that was that's sort of how it all sort of grew. But it was the last game of '84. Um, I played, well, made my debut for Worcester at, at Surrey, and um, and ended up. I think in the second innings, I got eighty, I think it was like eighty-two or eighty-four not out. Uh, we were we were saving the game, um, and Phil, I batted. 
quite a bit of the last day with our captain at the time was Phil Neal. I think he got 150-odd and I got 80-odd. Um, and then returned the following year, um, spent the first, let's uh, say, two-thirds of the season or maybe in the... Um, in the in the second team because we had um, still had an overseas player there at the time um, I think 85 I'm trying to think who that might have been might have been Collis and maybe Capel again I'm, I'm not sure um, wow. but I played the last few games of the 85 season I think it was the last six games I think of the 85 season if, I, if my memory serves me right yeah. um, I played um, I started playing um, you know as a regular first team player I hope I got that right. Yeah, no, no I'm, I, so, I'm, I'm sure you have. Give or take, Hickey. It doesn't matter if the years aren't spot on. <laughs> Give or take. So, had your status then changed from being an overseas player to a, you know, just a player now trying to qualify? Had you already decided that, you know what, it's not going to happen playing Test cricket for my country, Zimbabwe? I'm going to see what I can do here in England. Had you then already decided that? Um, no, not at the time. I suppose that that's the end of that first season and into the second season I think that's when the um, sort of conversations um, around it started happening um, and I remember I think I remember um, I'm, I'm going to have a guess and say it was more likely after the 85 season when I came back to Zimbabwe um, and I sort of I think at that stage was in the process of where I sort of was making up my mind and and at that stage obviously Zimbabwe hadn't really been talking or about you know trying to qualify for well I think they might have just started trying to qualify for Test cricket but it was no sort of light at the at the end of the tunnel on on, on that yeah. so um, I remember sitting down and having a, a meeting with with Alvin Pichani again and um, you know he was just a, a lovely man and um, he he's sat down and he just said look I'm, I'm going to have to wear two hats yeah he said one you know as a uh, as the chairman of the ZCU, I've got to try and you know make make an offer and keep in hope you know you stay and you continue playing for Zimbabwe. But on the other hand, as as a family friend and whatever, I can understand you making the decision you know that you that looks like you're going to make. So we sat and had a, a good chat about it and that and and um, you know he was very accepting and understandable um, as to. You know, and as to why I sort of chose the path I did, um, and then obviously, so from there, I sort of announced that I was going to um, sort of do the qualification period of which at that stage was was ten years. So, you know, it, it was quite a long haul, but um, at that, you know, setting out at that. But as a young kid of nineteen, twenty, you know, it was just an opportunity that was obviously there. And if I wanted to play international cricket. Um, or have at least have a chance to at, at the highest level, I suppose, then at that time, that was the only sort of way I could see myself doing it. Yeah. So, um, so that, that's the sort of, that was the process and, and what was sort of behind the thinking of it all. And then that incredible innings, mm. uh, which is still spoken about so many years later, the innings that you scored against Somerset, 405 not out. Now, unfortunately, mm. I was not a cricket lover. I was still quite young. And I, my, my late brother, he certainly, you know, he, everything was Graham Hick this, Graham Hick that. And I didn't really know what he was talking about. But I did know something very monumental had been achieved. I, I remember in previous interviews, you know, you said that a lot of the stuff of that innings, you don't remember all that well, because, I mean, it was a long time time ago but 
I would imagine there's still some of the of the you know certain stages of that innings, 405 not out of Taunton, that'll always live with you, you know, as you approach the various landmarks, 200, 250, 300, and then eventually 400. Um, yeah, it was interesting because it was only it was the start of us playing four day cricket, right. so we sort of, I suppose we were still in the process of um, you know, working out how long you're going to bat for, you know, if, if you win the toss in battle if you put it, you know, when do you declare? I suppose it's all about well, wickets and hand and what your scoreboard is. But I remember the first, um, I was 180-odd overnight on the first day. Uh, I think we were about four or five down. And I was very lucky because we had we had a long batting lineup in that our late middle order in Rhodes, Phil Newport and Richard Ingworth could all hold the bat and, and value their wickets. So, um, you know, the, the next Next day, we, we we just set out to to bat till till lunch if possible, um, and obviously, and then formed some partnerships, and we went on batting till till tea. But I remember, it, I suppose the only real target I was going for, I'd, I'd made double hundreds already, so that wasn't a, a big issue. But once I got to into the early two hundreds and realised that we were still going to be batting, um, sort of maybe beyond lunch, you know, the main my, my main target just became. Um, just 311, I think it was, or 312, which was just to go past Glenn Turner's, which was the highest runs, individual run score for, or total for Worcester batsmen. So right. that was that was my only sort of target I was I was sort of had in mind. Um, so yeah, and then um, the skipper Phil had, Phil Neal had said that we were going to at lunchtime. I asked him, and he said we were going to bat till till tea. Um, if we were able to, so once I got to that 311, I, you know, I had a little bit of time left, and sort of just about swung at just about everything that came my way after that, and managed to get to 400 just before on the ball before tea. So, so that was, um, yeah, that was, that was a very enjoyable nine and a bit hours, and um, yeah. And and Hickey, you would have. Uh, I mean, I, it's difficult for you to remember. You, I mean, you scored 140 something first class hundreds for goodness sake. But um, which uh, are there? Maybe one or two that really stand out. Uh, so in other words, in terms of bowling attacks that you would have faced. You know, I know Surrey, for example, had Waka Yunus, and they had a couple of other very decent seamers. Lancashire had Wasim Akram, uh, and and I think Philip De Freitas, if I if I'm correct, played a little bit with with uh, at Lancashire as well. Um, so anyway, I, I, Alan Donald had Warwickshire and Dermot Reeve and so on. Which would you say that there was a specific hundred against one of the the teams that you will still remember twenty odd thirty years later? Um, I think if you ask, I, I mean, if you ask me what was what I felt was my best hundred, yeah. um, you know, not necessarily only in, in county cricket, but um, I always refer to my hundred and forty um, at Centurion. Um, in the first test in South Africa in 94 or 5 I think it was yes 94 um, yeah, yeah I, I think I look back you know they had a very good attack in Donald Pollock uh, Macmillan and I think it was Bosch uh, Matthews Bosch? Matthews was there Craig Matthews I think um, yeah. left arm bowler uh, and, Brett Schultz um, yeah so Brett Schultz it was, it was a, a really good pace attack Pat Simcox was the spinner so they had a very good um Pace, well, a very good all-round undertaking that there was some some real pace and variation and control in there with with Pollock, the left armour, you know, um, and yeah, so I felt that was 
that was a real challenge, and I actually felt that I'd, I'd played very well um, through that innings. You know, I, I, I remember walking off feeling quite happy with myself, and then I, felt I didn't really sort of play and miss too much, and, and my sort of shot execution had been pretty good, and, and, and felt it was a you know pretty for me. I just thought I was quite walked off quite content, mm-hmm. um, and then outside county cricket, I think. It's, it wasn't necessarily always about the, the attack, but sometimes more about the situation of the game and what the innings meant, I suppose, and the importance of that um, in regard to, you know, was it helping us towards winning championships or, you know, uh, or win matches, I think, as always, as, as a team. Um, I think sometimes you walk, I would walk off and, you know, you see the, you see the delight in winning a game Knowing that you've made a massive contribution, and you see, well, that, you know, especially when I got older and was sort of an older statesman in this side, you know, I used to love the feeling of coming off having known I've done done well, but more so just to see the the joy or, of you know, the rest of the team and the fact that we've we pulled off a win, and you see the young guys enjoying their cricket and enjoying learning, you know, in a way how to win yeah. or what yeah. winning was about. You know, I think those are the things that sort of meant meant more to me or made me sort of enjoy my cricket more was just sort of sitting down, taking the bat and, you know, just putting the gloves down and just looking around and, and taking in the, the atmosphere and seeing the, the sort of satisfaction on, on, on other people's sort of faces and, and, you know, that we sort of got over the line and, and you realise that you've made a, a big contribution to, to that. I think that was, in the end, you know, what was... It was about for me more so. Yeah, I, I can understand mm-hmm. that, and, and a lot of people refer to that one person uh, who played with you at county level who always speaks very highly of you. Of course, is Glenn McGrath, the former Australian seamer. Oh, what was that like uh, playing with with Glenn? Um, Glenn, I was, it was amazing. Um, I always remember the first uh, first few days he had in the nets, and then also um, the first game he played, and then just. Um, Obviously, I'd I'd come across him already before I knew what he was like and how what is the how he, you know how much control he had, um, but you know the, the the for the guys that were seeing him first up, um, you know like in the nets and that just they couldn't believe just how how much control he had, um, I, and then just such a just such a lovely bloke, um, but once he crossed the line, he was just a, a you know a fierce competitor. Um, so just a yeah, yeah, great bloke to play with. Um, liked him, had, had a little bit of a laugh off the field. Never took himself too seriously. But once he was across the line, um, just a great bowler, as we all know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. huge, huge competitor mm. and a very fine bowler. Yeah. I, I want to take you back to something that I remember that gave me a sleepless night. So I, I shudder to think what you would have felt like. Uh, 1993, when you eventually got that first elusive Test 100 against India in Mumbai. You came in with England struggling at 58 for four, and you had the unfortunate business of going to bed 99 not out. I don't know. I mean, I didn't even sleep, and I was just a 16-year-old <laughs> admirer. I, I wonder how you felt going to bed 99 not out on the verge of finally, you know, g- getting these critics off your back and scoring that, that first Test 100. Well, it was better, being, it was better than being naught now, like <laughs> sometimes. Was, so. um, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I can't remember exactly whether I, I slept or not, but I remember the only thing I remember was the next morning when we walked out, um, I think the spinner was um, 
was Bowley was and they didn't have anyone they had a short man on the offside in tight but they didn't have anyone in the cover they had the man out on the out on the boundary in the sort of backward point and that's a straightish cover so you know I just felt straight away it just gave me I was quite happy then because I just I just felt I had an I had an easy single you know when either either side of the wicket you know so I was quite um, I sort of that sort of relaxed me a little bit I didn't feel like I needed to do much or or go looking for too much just to, you know to get that single so um, I don't know whether it was maybe third or fourth ball I think you know just was a push forward into the offside and, and scamper through for that single but I remember just that being a bit surprised you know the next morning I think that there's you know I just felt that they, they, if the ring had been a bit tighter on me it would have you know that, that pressure would have yes, just yeah. felt that pressure a bit more so but um, yeah I was, I was I was pleased to to get that hundred um, obviously we, we hadn't been we hadn't batted that well but um, as, a, as a side so there again you know it was a A for me to to sort of get that first hundred, but then also make a you know a significant contribution and in, in there. Although we we lost we lost all three tests then, but um, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed the moment and um, yeah, sort of went on. They had a good partnership with Tuffers, I think. Yeah, that's was, right. That's quite which right. Which was quite which was quite good fun. So. <laughs> Full Tufnell, good old Full Tufnell. Mm-hmm. So, and then another thing that I know that you um, would have enjoyed immensely, Hickey, was the 1992 World Cup. Now, that, in my opinion, is still the best World Cup ever. Uh, I'm being a little biased because it was my first, um, it was the first World Cup when I started paying attention to, to cricket. But I, I just, uh, all the World Cups since then have never quite been the same. And maybe it's just a nostalgia for me, you know, my first World yeah. Cup. You know, I don't know. But I loved the World Cup in so many areas. And you had an exceptionally good World Cup. You made it through as a team to the final. You know, England always had this this reputation of not taking one-day cricket too seriously, I guess. That was what always many people felt. And the next thing, here you are as England, you know, playing some exceptionally good cricket along the way. You yourself had a wonderful time. I'm just quick to the top of my head. I can remember you scoring four half centuries, which was pretty special. Um, would I be writing saying that 83 in the semi-final against South Africa, was that the one that you enjoyed the most? against a very good pace attack um, yeah same again I think I could give him, I think I was the man of the match on, on that game but same you know semi-final um, you know winning the winning the game um, and getting through the final and that's what it was all about and unfortunately you know Pakistan completely outplayed us in the final um, unfortunately we had you know we had played some some really good cricket through the through the tournament um, so a real shame that you know that day they just Pakistan pitched up and and you know Wazim um, sort of went through our middle order very easily um, yeah so that that was really disappointing because I think we felt that we you know you never deserved to win a World Cup but we you know we've we've felt going into you know we, we we felt we'd played good cricket and we're feeling pretty confident not you know to, not necessarily confident to win it but certainly confident to do well and then you just we've got to, Wait on the day, but um, yeah, it was, a sh- it was a shame to have um, miss- missed out on that that final and not not won that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, they, they they were certainly better on the day then. Yeah, yeah, Mushtaq Ahmed very very good as well on the day with his leg spinners as well, if I remember correctly. Um, very good. Yeah, yeah, they. Uh, I mean, there's only only thing I remember early on there was there we had a couple of LBWs. Um, against you know the when Pakistan were batting and then when Javid came in I think he was it was a very dubious 
LBW decision given not out, which might have influenced the game a bit more. But um, anyway, uh, didn't go our way. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, look at, looking back as we as we conclude, Hickey, it's been wonderful talking yeah. to you. It's been a lifelong uh, ambition of mine, I have to tell you. Uh, looking back at at your international career, which, by the way, was a very very good one. I mean, many people, uh, I suppose, would have liked to have seen you average, and I'm sure you would have liked that as well, a, a bit more than your mid thirties. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. But you know, you played 65 Test matches and you scored 18 fifties and six. I mean, that, there's no shame in that. Um, but do you often feel that you were constantly playing for your, your spot in the side in terms of test cricket? Because no matter how, if you did score runs or if you, you know, the selectors these days certainly seem to give players much a much longer run than what they did with you, Mark Rampakash, Robin Smith to a lesser extent. So you played 65 test matches, but you were dropped close to 10 times in, in doing that. I would imagine that would have been very disruptive for you. Um, I, I totally agree with everything you said at the start of that about, yeah, I'd, I'd certainly love to have um, average high come, you know, the, the sort of the post, the end of my, my career. I think I sort of looking back, I felt I had a very good run through the, the middle part of my career where, you know, I, I didn't start well and I didn't end well. Um, so I was sort of the start after sort of bad start, I always felt I was under pressure chasing my tail a bit and, and in hindsight, I think I put myself um, under a lot of pressure in trying to achieve what um, AI wanted to achieve, but also I think what a lot of people expected me to achieve. Um, so I sort of, maybe at times, certainly I um, was putting myself under too much pressure there. Um, but I think I felt sort of, you know, looking back through the middle part, you know, I, I feel like I had, although I was still getting in and out the side a bit, I had a reasonable run and every, maybe averaged you know, sort of more in the, in the mid-40s or high-40s at times. Yeah. So, um, I was, you know, there's once or twice I sort of felt a little bit, a little bit disappointed to be left out the side. Um, but we, we were never consistent enough as a side in terms of our, our overall results and, if you know, in sports result-driven. So if you're, not, if you're not winning, then it takes a lot for selectors or people to stick with the same side and, and, and sort of see through that. So the side's always going to change. Um, and, you know, I, I sort of always, more often than that, I sort of felt that, yeah, I was in the, in the firing line. And end of the day, if you get plenty of runs and you get plenty of wickets, you don't get dropped. It's, it's, as, it's as simple as that, really. So I've sort of been very um, realistic around, you know, where... where it sort of all ended up, I suppose. Um, I, I sort of feel that obviously a little bit more stability would have helped, um, as we sort of see now. But um, yeah, I certainly I feel I certainly played my career under a lot of different pressures. Um, you know, for example, coming in and starting a, a you know a test career at the age of 25 with 60 odd first class hundreds behind you already um, it was very different to starting out maybe as a 20-year-old with half a dozen first-class hundreds and, you know, the whole world, your, your, your sort of life ahead of you. So there's a lot of um, little things there that I think, you know, I had to sort of deal with and, and I feel I could have dealt with them better or shut them out better and, and maybe just believed in, in my game a bit more. Um, but certainly um, look back with a lot of fond memories of, you know, obviously, as I said earlier, I went over to England for a, a six-month scholarship and ended up 
you know, been able to play professional cricket for 25 years and meet a lot of good people and have a great time. So, and pretty much cricket's given me everything I've got. So I haven't got a lot to complain about. Um, it was tough at times, and you know that's and you wouldn't want professional sport at the top level to be anything but that. Um, so yeah, it was it was a great journey and a, a journey that I really enjoyed. Um, but it, it had its moments. Yeah. Absolutely, as as does mm. everything. And did you did you ever miss Zimbabwe as a youngster? Were there the times where you thought, "Gosh, I I do actually wish I was back with my old teammates." You know, Davy Houghton, Andy Pycroft, Edo Brandis, your old mate as well. You know, a couple of uh, of those players. Or when you had committed, you know, was it, it sort of a chapter that you put firmly behind you and focused on the future? Um, no, I didn't. I think what you miss with with that is. Is the you know the people that you grow up with and spend a lot of time with, um, you know, especially through those school years, you know, when when you sort of are able to catch up with those people, they take you back to to your roots and take you away from take your mind away from, you know, the game or the, or the other whatever the worries or yeah. things. You know, they 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 just treat you as a person. You're not worried whether you've. You know, it's a bit like when you come home and your kids are young and you've got naught or you've not taken any wickets. You know. They don't care. They don't know any different, you know. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and I remember, you know, so when you when you catch up with old friends, it's nothing about, you know, whether you're getting, you know, 100 every time you bat or, you know, or a few ducks on the, you know, in a row. It's about the friendship and and just about that, that camaraderie you have as a and, – and sort of mateship you have growing up. So I think you sort of maybe missed that for a while when you're with people like that. Um and yeah, I mean, unfortunately, yeah. I mean, a lot of my peers also had moved out of Zimbabwe by the time you now I started playing for England. You know, I mean, I'm living in Australia at the moment, and yes. most of my schoolmates are actually all scattered around Australia. So <laughs> we sort of catch up on a you know reasonably irregular basis, depending on where I was travelling. You know, whether it be just up the road here or Perth or whatever. There's always plenty of Zimbabweans around. Um, to, to catch up with so and it's always nice to to see them because you do you know straight away you'd be talking about that you know you know Zimbabweans always talk about our schools you know whether you went to Prince Edward or Churchill or whatever and there's always that never-ending argument as to what school was best yeah, so absolutely. it takes you back to those days and they're obviously days you cherish and friendships you, that you, you cherish um, but I, I, I certainly um, moved on in terms of the cricket um, in realising that I had made my decision, I was going to play for England one day, hopefully, and, and moved on, you know, with that side of it very quickly, um, and sort of put that okay. You know, I'm going to wait. What ended up being seven years, and I was just playing and loving my cricket at the time, so it went very quickly for me. I'm going to get into huge amounts of trouble if mm-hmm. I don't ask you what it was like when you had Ray Price, the Zimbabwean left-arm spinner, sharing the dressing room <laughs> with you. <laughs> Actually, I, I, I spent quite a... I, spent, I, did, I lost your question a bit there, but I think, I think it's obviously about Ray. Yeah, just spending um, time with yeah. him, yeah. I, I spent quite a bit of time with him when he joined Worcester, and it was, it was good. I loved his company because he, I think he got to understand me pretty well too, and, and I think I was old enough that you know, you know how much he talks and how much oh, noise he can make. Absolutely. So, <laughs> and at, at times, I like to quiet this room. So, if he was if he was making too much noise, I just say Razor, <laughs> and they'd just look at him. He'd either he'd either sort of shut up and keep quiet, or he'd walk out and, and go and find someone else to, to annoy. But I would say I always he used to travel with me because in those days we used to 
um, travel in, in privately in our cars rather than in a bus or a coach as they do now. So quite often I was I was the one that sort of picked him up and, and, and drove him around and he'd entertain me with a couple of hours of chat, which maybe I contributed about five minutes. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's a good man. I haven't seen him for free, obviously since uh, since he left Worcester, whatever, years ago. So, but, uh, yeah, good man. Yeah, certainly put a smile on a lot of people's faces and, and he wasn't that bad a bowler either, I'll tell you that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. He could certainly, mm. on our day, turn the ball a little bit. And, uh, you yeah. know, it was very handy, especially mm-hmm. in the one-day format. Yeah. Right, so finally, uh, and mm. then I'll be letting you go. Hickey, what, um, what okay. as far as you know, what, what it, look, COVID obviously has, has upset the whole world. But as far as you know, mm. what are your plans? What would you hope to be doing if you and I had a chat, say, in six months or a year's time? Are you hoping to get back in, a, in the coaching business? What are you hoping to achieve? Um, yeah, I mean, this, obviously, the COVID's hit us, hit everyone, and it's, you know, so I've sort of, um, it's, it's, it's interesting, I'm sort of just sitting tight at the moment and, and not wanting to rush into too big a decision, obviously, because you know, my family are here, still at home, and so I've sort of, um, I, I suppose, if a certain role comes up that, uh, that appeals to me, um, in terms of having to relocate out of out of here for a few years, whatever, then then I will do. Um, you know, if it's something that's sort of you know being a head coach somewhere, um, and this sort of you know it's a real, it just seems like a really not a really good challenge to take on. Um, or otherwise, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to try and maybe just see if I can have get an opportunity to get involved with um, some of the franchise cricket that's around now. You know, once cricket's up and running, you know, full time, because then I'll hopefully I'll be able to spend, you know, still a large proportion of my time here at home, um, you know, while the family are here, um, and at the same time still be involved in cricket and and hopefully earn a little bit of money around the, I suppose the, the franchise circuit. Um, so that's sort of juggling a few balls there, but you know, the one thing I've really enjoyed about this this. Uh, been the COVID sort of time is that you know, this is maybe first time since I've uh, since I started playing for for England and really travelling that I've actually spent a, you know, a large portion of time like this at home with my family and you know my, my children are in their mid twenties now and it's um, you know they're young adults and they're great company so you know being at home and, and spending time with them and having some some good laughs you know over. A, a bottle of red or a couple of beers, whatever, with my son or whatever. It's it's been a you know while the cricket's not been so good, you know the the family time I've had the last few months has been been great and I've really enjoyed that. So it's making other decisions, weighing up what's right and what to do a little bit harder, I suppose. I suppose so. Imagine head being the head coach of Zimbabwe, Hickey. How would that work out? I wonder. <laughs> That's an interesting one. (laughs) All right, Graham Hick, it's been an absolute pleasure. Wishing you nothing but success with whatever the future holds for you. Thank you for your time. And also, I'd just like, on behalf of everybody, thank you very much for the the huge amount of entertainment that you gave cricket lovers around the world, be it batting for Worcestershire or batting for England as well. Okay. Thanks very much, Dean. Enjoyed um, enjoyed chatting to you. Thank you. All the best, Graham. Take care. You're listening to Dean at Stumps. Hosted by Dean Duplessis. And there comes to end a fantastic conversation with 
One of the finest, uh, just a shame that he, by his own admission, was never really able to convert the, the, the starts uh, or, or maybe have a, a test average of somewhere in the mid-50s like so many people would have wanted and undoubtedly that he would have wanted. But uh, he certainly did contribute uh, in some good ways for England. I certainly concur with him. The 140-odd that he scored against South Africa at Supersport Park in 1995 was probably the best test innings Graham Hick played for England. Super stuff. A very big thank you as well to Henry Moran of the BBC Test Match Special Team for that nice little montage you heard at the top of the show, little snippets of Graham Hick's commentary. And uh, just in case you have maybe discovered the Dean at Stumps podcast for the first time, and if you'd like to subscribe and listen to some really magnificent interviews with former and current players, well, you simply go, if you're on your iPhone, you uh, go to your Apple podcast app, you search for Dean at Stumps, and uh, you subscribe. It's as simple as that. But of course, the Dean at Stumps podcast is also available on Spotify, Overcast, Downcast, Pocket Cast, and any other cast that has a pod with it as well. So thank you very much indeed for listening. We'll be back pretty soon with another uh, pretty interesting guest, I'm sure. But uh, until then, please stay safe. And we'll be back pretty soon. But until then, goodbye. You've been listening to Dean at Stumps, Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket podcast. 